Uh, I'm going to try to do a little bit of a mini sermon here, and this is our last um, last lesson out of the Psalms for this summer. So uh, we've made it through the whole summer. Summer of Psalms, whole and real selves was our tagline. Um, we tried to see, look into the Psalms and say, okay, how do the Psalms give us language and a lens? How do they give us a language and a lens to um, bring our whole selves to God, not just the good stuff and the worship stuff and the God, you're so awesome stuff, but the, the doubts and the uncertainty and the fear and the panic and the, the very real things that we experience as human beings. How are we to bring all of that to God? And the Psalms give us this beautiful way of doing that. Um, so uh, tonight, we're, we're going to kind of wrap up the series. We're going to give you a chance to respond to the whole thing, kind of like step back a little bit and be like, wow, that was a lot <laughs> of stuff. There were some serious weeks there. Um, what, what did God do um, through this summer? But right now, if you want, um, go ahead and grab a Bible, either on your phone or there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, um, and flip over to Psalm 16. 16. And maybe while you're doing that, I want to invite you to consider a question, because that's what we're, we do whenever we start a sermon, is we ask a question. Um, I want you to turn to somebody, uh, maybe sitting next to you, or, or if they're not, just kind of go across the aisle, um, and uh, think for a moment, uh, what is one area of your life that you tend to struggle with envy? What is one area of your life that you tend to um, envy others in? or wish you had something different, um, you get the point. So think about it for a minute, and then I want you to take 60 seconds and articulate that thing to someone next to you. What are you envious about? What are you envious about? Hmm? A puppy? You want a puppy? So you're jealous of other people's puppies? And kittens. All right, try to wrap up here. I believe everybody's gone. All right, shout a couple out. If you're willing, someone else's pets. That was the entire front row. Someone else's adorable pets. What else? Just a couple. Okay, away from me. My shirt? Oh, jeez. Okay, we're going to move on. 
All right, well, we'll come back to that if no one has any serious ones. Those, let me be serious. And you'll get to, what's your serious? Oh, yeah. What? You're envious of that or you just want to? Okay, that's a different thing. We can make that happen. All right, well, you'll get a chance to seriously consider that and, and talk about it. Stop looking at me. Um, turn to Psalm 16. And, uh, and I'm going to pray. And so I invite you to pray with me and just ask God to reveal what he wants to through this, to, through this psalm. Uh, God, thank you for this psalm. It's short, it's beautiful, it's packed. Uh, we're not going to get to all of it today. Uh, thank you for this community. Thank you that you're present with us uh, in a unique way. Thank you that you're speaking to us through this word. You're speaking to us through um, the psalmist today in 16. Thank you that you're going to speak to us through the way that we get to express the, the depths of our, our lives to you in worship and in, in art and um, in processing. And so I pray, God, that you would tear down any, any hard things in us that keep us from really getting into touch with some of this deep stuff um, and help us to trust you in that journey. Um, God, we're grateful for the work that you've done this summer. Um, continue it today, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's read Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no, no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more, and I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods, and I will not take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's word. Amen. All right, so um, like most of the psalms that we've taken a look at this summer, this psalm, 16, the one that I just read, hopefully you're still able to focus, um, is, it's loaded with imagery. And we are just not simply, I'm just not going to attempt to, to, to fully exposit this psalm today. Um, it's loaded with stuff. It foreshadows the work of the cross. Um, and it can be honestly discussed from like, a plethora of different angles. And so today, um, even just in our short time and the things that we wanted to do today, um, I wanted to take this moment and highlight um, one, probably one or two major uh, or key human conditions or emotions that this psalm invites us to bring to God and gives us hope in the midst of. And these things are envy, um, and not quite an emotion, but more of a, a concept would be idealism. So envy and idealism. Uh, these things are often inextricably linked in our lives. Um, I don't think we're strangers in this room to the very strong and the very real temptation to let something that someone else has, does, or says really 
destroy the very joy that we could have experiencing the thing that we already have. And so this is not a very profound concept, but I think it looks something a little bit like this um, up on the screen. Not that one, the next one. Can you get the, rid of the background? Clear, clear all on the top left. And then do the slide again. There you go. It looks a little bit like this. Um, we, under, we understand the concept of contentment, um, but to live in contentment um, is maybe something we do naturally, depending on how we were raised. But more often than not, it's something to, to work toward um, as we discover more and more about who God is. Um, but if we, contentment would be, be saying, I have something and I'm okay with it. I have this and it is beautiful. It is good, it is right, it is exactly what I need. I need not worry, I don't lack anything. That's contentment, right? And insecurity has a role to play in this because um, whether it's through something someone says, something someone does, um, little things that happen in life, things that pop up on our computers, all of a sudden we're like, hey, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe that thing isn't as beautiful as I thought it was. Maybe there's something better for me. That's the insecurity. And then the insecurity moves to envy, which is the I want that thing. If I don't have that thing, I won't really be happy right? So the severity of it moves as we move to the right. Um, Josh, you can pull up the next slide, which is basically, I have it. Insecurity is, what if I don't have it? Or what if it's not enough? And envy is, someone else has it, and I want it, and I need it, and I'm not going to be happy till I get it. And so, obviously, we know this, but contentment in our lives, when we know or we've experienced contentment, that like, I can rest, I can rest secure, as the psalmist says. Like, I can, I can just breathe and be and be present. We experience things like real joy. We experience enjoyment, pleasure, gratitude, right? But then when we move to envy through insecurity, we start experiencing disappointment, anger, frustration, suffering. We start to sense a lack in something. We consider this little lie told to us by others, by ourselves, by social media, and spiritually we move in this direction to find a promised greater joy or satisfaction in something else. And the minute we start doing this, the thing that we have, the place that we are, the purpose, the relationships that we're in, they all become kind of gray, right? They're not just, they're just not as exciting anymore. They're not as maybe beautiful to us anymore. We don't wanna be around them as much. And we start looking toward these other gods, little g, these other things to pursue, these other things to worship, these other things to put our affection towards um, in, the, in what they claim to provide for us. So idealism, envy, they're these great killers of our joy. And it's everywhere, right? I mean, if we spent like an ounce of time on social media, it's like the buffet of self-marketing and marketing. Um, it's the you don't have it, you know, don't you want it, here's how to get it. Before you know it, you're looking at a t-shirt to make yourself feel cooler. I just did that yesterday. Um, it's not this one. <laughs> oh, it's working. Oh, my gosh. A <laughs> Let's deal with that later. A brand that resonates with our longings, a social circle that gives voice to our struggles, perhaps another lover who will love us better than the one that we have now, if even just in our minds, right? This thing can get really scary really fast. This is the other God thing. This is the little G God, the little thing that promises to provide you something that you really want, but it can't. And what David is talking about when he's saying this whole like blood libations and pour out 
Um, I'm not going to go into what that is, but the, the, the context of David's time is that there's temples everywhere. There's all these different temples of worship, literal worship. And we don't have that maybe in our mainstream. Maybe if you go to somewhere like India, you're going to experience a lot of different temples to a lot of other gods, right? Um, but for us, these little gods show up in more, we're not strangers to that in Christian speak, but like these little gods show up under the surface as, as not quite apparent things in our culture. I've seen this like countless times. I used to coach CrossFit for three years. My wife and I own a CrossFit gym. Um, and I, I had this opportunity to be with people in a very intimate setting. And you get to really see what people think about themselves really quickly. Um, don't let that turn you off from ever trying CrossFit. But as a coach, I'm able to actually sense what they're thinking, what they're, what they're going through. And I was shocked, you guys. I'm still shocked at how many people... This is not just a CrossFit thing. This is all of us, but it gets exposed in sports or athletics or or something that has to do maybe with body image. The the amount of joy killing that happens in that process. Like people, um, I was blown away by the number of clients that I had um, that were very capable, very beautiful, had wonderful bodies that were functional, that could do so many things, that they had goals, they had progress, they had... um, they had opportunities to, to continue to make themselves better, but their joy was like all the way at the bottom and their self-deprecation was all the way at the top because someone else in the gym had something that they didn't have. Someone else in the gym had a body that was better than theirs or someone could do this movement that was just a little bit beyond their movement and then therefore they were like, well, I'm just terrible. And I say that kind of funny, but like really that was their whole demeanor was like, I'm, I'm terrible. And I would just be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) They had lost their whole perspective on their entirety of their life, their goals, their training, because they had seen what somebody else had, and they said, therefore, I am not enough. Therefore, what I have is not good. What I have is not, um, doesn't bring me joy anymore. And until I do that, or until I'm like that, I'm just kind of a pile of of turds. (laughs) Pile of turds, is that appropriate to say? Um, so, um, but this is, you know, in that setting, it's very apparent, like, these things are often very physical things, you know, we talked about, like, pets, right, other people have adorable pets, um, but often it goes to far deeper things, like our reputation, our purpose, our closest relationships, our marriages, our character, how it compares to someone else. I think I've seen this most, um, in Christian leadership, I've seen this in my own life as a, as a a pastor is a, just a guy trying to follow Jesus. Like, I see people with greater passion than me, and I'm like, I'm just nothing. I don't, I don't, what am I doing following God? Like, they got all this passion. I don't have any passion. They got this, like, rock-solid character. I'm like, I'm hot and cold. <laughs> like, I'm up and down. Every day's a little different thing. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe um, maybe, you know, like I put this pressure on myself, like I gotta be that person, I gotta have that thing, I gotta act that way, I gotta be more serving, I gotta have better character if I really wanted to be um, who God's calling me to be. And this weird Christian competitive thing comes out. So this can be all over life. It can be in gyms, it can be in ministry, it can be in your social circle, it can be in your marriage, it can be in your school, where you see something and you say, until I have that thing, I'm not good enough, or until, until I have that thing, what I have is not good enough. And so here's what the psalmist says. We're going back to the psalm. 
It says in verse, uh, end of two and three and four, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after gods, other gods will suffer more and more. This is what David says. He says right off the bat, only God is the good God and only in God is there good. And in him and his people is where his delight and his joy was found. That those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And what he's really saying here is that on top of not being in relationship with the true God, with Christ, with the spirit, in all of his love, his friendship, his care, his provision, his counsel for us, Those who look to those other things, those other little g-gods, they'll suffer, but they'll also suffer because they're not getting what they really need. That the little gods are unable to supply them with what they really, really deep down need. And maybe they're given, or maybe we're given an illusion of it for a while, but not in a sustained long-term, like, I can count on that thing doing it again and again and again and again. So that's the kind of suffering he's talking about in this context. It's the insecurity that he's talking about in this context. The will it continue to provide for me the thing that I really want, the thing that I really need. Instead of trusting God in the now and his presence through the journey. And so this longing, we all hopefully are starting to identify something in us that that, that really deep down is something that we envy in others or envy in someone else's has, someone else has. But this longing, uh, this envy, it creates a kind of desperation in us and it kills our joy. And our story, like I've said again, becomes until I have that, I will be unhappy. And until I have that, I will be incomplete. And the great suffering comes that once we get it, the great letdown happens and it's not good enough. And something else beyond it is the next thing. Or someone grows beyond us or becomes better than us. And the cycle goes on and on. You catching my drift here? I'm track a lacking. I don't even know what that's from, but Madagascar. Thank you. Like, I knew it. So verse 5. This is the gospel. This is the, the real where this, this psalm really starts to get into the nitty-gritty of why this matters for us in the big picture. Verse five, the psalmist says, Lord, you alone, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. This imagery probably feels a little bit out of touch for us. Um, I'm not gonna go into like all the backstory of what this represents, but we're not in a culture where we deal a lot with lands. And like, I don't, probably half of us even know where our like actual yard stops and starts. Maybe, we have fences. But um, this is a very cultural thing for the time of David. This is not so for us. The same thing with cups. We say things like, hey, is your fun cup filled up? That's Ben's phrase. Is your fun cup filled up? But we, <laughs> we don't really know what we're talking about when it comes to cups and portions, and that's just, it's kind of older language. But what this is really saying um, is that there's two key concepts I want you to hear from this, this middle section of the psalm, is that uh, what, what David is speaking to about the character of God and his involvement in your life has to do with two things. 
the now and the future. That the now matters because in his present presence, right now with us, and with a contentment in him and a trust in him, we have a portion, which is like what our lives maybe look like, what, what our world maybe looks like, and God's care for it. And then the future is the, the not yet. It's the, it's the down the road, maybe at the end of our lives or this big kind of cosmic, um, massive cosmic book, and we're right in the middle of it. Um, we call it eternity uh, that being face to face with God fully in the afterlife, whatever that looks like, is our inheritance to be given something that that um, is is so much more than we could ever possibly imagine. That's an inheritance, um, and it's from God. And so God is essentially saying through the Psalm, "I've secured for you the big picture. I've written the big story, and I've given you this concept of eternal joy, so that you might have joy now, in the present." And the way that we do that is by saying, God, I'm gonna trust you in your big story and I'm, gonna glor- I'm, I'm going to have joy in the fact that you've done something for me really big in my inheritance as a child of God, the song that we just sung, and say that if, if that's true, then the things that we're maybe thinking about, the things that we feel like Velcro, that we're kinda like, if I don't get that, I really need that. If I don't get that, I'm not gonna be happy. If that thing doesn't have to be our everything because of that eternal picture, then it changes our perspective so that we can see it for what it really is. Hebrews 12 says, who for the joy, speaking of Jesus, who models this for us, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is the one who points to the big picture He does the ultimate thing so that we can actually talk about this kind of practical stuff. Jesus fully embodies this. He shows the extent of his love and his complete trust in God by suffering in the flesh, spiritually, emotionally, in the short term of his earthly life, even unto death on a cross, so that in the long term, we would have the greatest of riches, which is this full, unbridled relationship with God. Intimacy, counsel, protection, care, provision, purpose, every spiritual blessing in Christ. He took care of this long term. We've talked about it this, in this series, like the okayness of our souls, like that I'm okay with God now because of what Jesus has done. So that I don't have to be worried about what everyone else has, what the latest, greatest thing is, worried about whether we're all doing it right. And so David says in nine and 10, therefore my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices and my body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one, your holy one, see decay. Not only that, but in his resurrection, he ensures that God's power over death, over our abandonment to the place and state where nothing lives. He says it, he calls it the realm of the dead, where nothing is living. In the same way, God will not let his faithful one see decay. He's speaking of Jesus here not giving him over to ultimate death. And he secures in that for us this eternal hope, being with us now. And I think when we, you know, this is like theological talk, right? But when we remember that truth again and again and again and again, that, that the work of Jesus is not just a singular moment on a cross, but it's this increasingly opening story of us stepping into real intimacy with the God of the universe, 
and a freedom from sin, victory over the shame that has kept us down for most of our lives, defeatedness, self-deprecation, comparison to enjoy life with him, right? When we remember that again and again and again, it's hard. God, I, so many times I forget this truth. I say that I believe it, but I don't really live it out. And the more that we, we don't remind ourselves of this, it becomes our perspective. Our perspective starts shrinking to that one thing that we need to be everything for us. And it's only when we can open ourselves up to, the, again, trusting God with our, our present and our future that we can have joy. We can be present to the things that we have. What are the, the, the people that we have in our lives? The church that we have? Um, the relationships, our current lot, the things that we possess? Now they become pleasurable to us again. The things that, you, that are grayed out by this kind of envy and comparison and, and, and longing for something else, now they become bringers of pleasure. They become good things again. The, the food that we eat becomes more delicious if we stop and enjoy it and remember the gift. Our partner's quirks, the things that usually irritate us, can now become things that we really appreciate about their uniqueness. Our kids our homes, our possessions, things that, are, that so often get ruined by our assumptions and our idealism and our envy. Now, like for me, as I'm processing through this, like I can learn to appreciate my body for what it is when I'm not so concerned about it looking like somebody else's, like Nate's, Nate's, Nate's. It's a joke. But seriously, I can learn to appreciate something that I have not done in my entire life is appreciate my own body for what it is when I'm not so concerned about it looking like someone else. We can live within our financial means, my wife and I, and enjoy what we have. And maybe the other gifts that, that our lifestyle affords, like more time with our, with our little buddy. For me, opportunities to make music, something I've always dreamed of, instead of always comparing myself against what someone else's salary is, what someone else's like exhaustive work life is like, I can again see it with perspective. I can wonder at the gift of my wife when I'm present to her and all of her imperfections and not wondering what it'd be like to be with somebody else. I can be faithful to God with what I know as a 30-year-old Midwest kid instead of worrying and feeling shame for the things that I don't know. I can be unique in my gifts. I can thrive where I would normally lose my joy and often, you guys, I've lost my joy because I'm not how a pastor should look, act, or feel. I can give up this self-deprecating when I'm not passionate enough, when I'm not caring enough, when I'm not charismatic enough, when I don't have to be perfect, I don't have to have this perfect, fulfilling job every day. My church doesn't have to bear the weight of being the church that I thought it should be, my friends, the friends that they should be. I trust God that he's developing my character and I get to enjoy the process of learning instead of assuming I should always be better, more mature. These things, they don't have to be our everything anymore. They don't have to be the ideal, the perfect. They don't have to be better than what they are. They don't have to be what everybody else has because the delightful inheritance that I have with God, which is the future, and the presence, his ongoing care for me in my real life right now, in everything I just talked about, 
God's presence to me there and his promise that he's gonna complete it one day. Why? Because I can trust him with that. Or I get to, I, I'm invited to trust him through this psalm. We are invited to trust him again in our little place in the fabric of this huge story of God that regardless of how life shakes out, how all the things that I just listed maybe shake out for me, that my hope is secure in him and that one day I will, I will be in union with God, the, one, the, the true lover of my soul, the one who knows me more deeply than anyone else, the one who's really behind the song that Daniel shared, who knows me in the midst of all of my questions. He's the greatest good that I could lay hold of and put my affections toward. So what is it for you? What is it for you? What's that Velcro thing that you cannot pull yourself away from because you're only focused on it? What are those things for you that when your perspective is so small or so caught up in the I'm not happy until I get that thing and you've forgotten the big story, you've forgotten the inheritance of God, you've forgotten the okayness of your soul and the big picture to lose sight of it in the short term, to lose sight of it in these little things. What is it for you? Is it physical? Is it something you have? Is it something you want? Is it a trait or a personality or a quirk or a spouse or a partner? The way you wanted your kids to be? So I'm gonna invite Daniel up and I'm gonna pray and I invite you to pray with me um, and, and to take this time, he's gonna give you some space here. Um, even though we're gonna launch into like a review of all the Psalms, I want you to take a minute and stop here and, and, inv- and ask, what is the Spirit of God poking at me? Maybe in confession, it's, it's bringing it to God that, God, I really envy this. I really wanted that. This ideal that maybe you've held on for a long time that you need to let go of. And the ask today is that you, you'd maybe even visualize that thing in this time. And you'd, you'd, you'd see it in a new perspective. You'd see it in fresh eyes, with the big picture in mind. See it as good again. See it as a gift. See it as sufficient for now. Trusting God in his care for you. Let's pray. God, you know where we're at. You know what we need. You know what we long for. You know the things that keep us up at night. Wanting the deep ache in our chest when we don't have something that someone else has or when our ideals feel shattered by reality. God, speak to us again the truth that that the hope that we have and the only thing putting our affection toward is you, the one who secured for us the eternal promise of life, of abundant life. And for the present, a God who's shepherding us, who's caring for us, you're present in our questions and our doubts and our fears and our worries and our what if they haves and what if I don't haves and what does that make me and who does that make me? God, speak to us now so that we would see things right again. We would see things for what they are and enjoy them and enjoy the gift that they are. We trust you, Lord. Amen.